Coming up this week on Sporting Journal Radio, we're talking elk in Minnesota. We, of course, have concerns about translocating out animals across state lines that could potentially have chronic wasting disease. Gosh darn it, maybe we can do something like that with elk in northeast Minnesota. They had almost a 30-inch average for every single walleye. I fish, I hunt, and always will. Broadcasting from the Alclair Outdoor Studios. Presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. <clears throat> We're not just a radio show anymore. This is Sporting Journal Radio. That's right. Welcome to the show. I am Brett Amundsen. Thank you for watching or listening to this wherever you're getting this show right now. That's Dan Amundsen over there. Dan, what's up? Hey, uh, Sky. Get it? Wow. Get it? Hang on. Nope, wrong button. (laughs) (laughs) That's David Eckhart over there. David, what's happening? Not much. You don't have a clever comeback? No. uh, Dan's very... Yeah, I'll I'll let Dan take care of the corny jokes. (laughs) You got it. Well, (laughs) Hey, you're the one who grows the corn, though. Oh, my. Oh, my God. I'm on fire today. Let me start this over. (laughs) Uh, We're going to talk about corn with David just a little bit, because he has some 12-foot corn. Is that good or bad? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't either. That is really loud. But we'll find out coming up a little bit. We're also going to talk about elk in Minnesota. More elk on the landscape is coming. We're going to find out when, where, what it means for you. Uh, we got a couple of biologists that are a big part of it. Mike Schrag and also Blaine Klamek are going to be uh, discussing the entire process from front to back and what it can mean for the future of big animals in Minnesota. Also, Joe Henry will have a Lake of the Woods fishing report for us in just a little bit. Dan, who are this week's sponsors? This week we have... Live Target Lures. Match the hatch at LiveTargetLures.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism. Lake of the Woods is the walleye capital of the world. Plan a trip for this summer or maybe start thinking about winter at LakeoftheWoodsMN.com. Haybell Heights Campground Resort on Devil's Lake. Book a trip to Devil's Lake. Learn more at HaybellHeights.com. Ottertail Lakes Country. Find your inner otter at OttertailLakesCountry.com. And Prairie Sportsman, our new season is wrapped up, but check your TV guide for local airtime for reruns or uh, go to the our YouTube channel and check that out. And I want to mention that hunting season is right around the corner, so it's time to re-up those Onyx subscriptions. And remember, they have uh, CarPlay yeah. now. So if you're driving around and your car has CarPlay, you can use Onyx on your screen, which is super, super cool. So you can just be driving around and look to your left, look to your right, and see who owns what and where's public land. So get that taken care of. And don't forget, hunting season is right around the corner. Make sure you protect your hearing with new hearing protection products from Alclair Outdoors. Man, what is it? The flies have been just ridiculous lately. And it's yeah. not a lot in here, but there's one that just loves this general area right here today. Is it, it, you? Do you need to shower? It might be or? me. <laughs> it's probably, it might be that one that I swatted twice out of the air this morning. That yeah, didn't you draw didn't blood? Die. Yeah, the thing just flew away. I don't was know. it your blood? Well, <laughs> that could be the flies struck back. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Man. All right. Well, we got some new stuff coming to our Fish Hunt Forever channel on YouTube. Make sure you check out that one as well as the one you're watching right now. Uh, we've got a new video. We filmed a video for Cast King that they could play at the booth at iCast. And there he is again. It's attacking right me. Right into your eye. <laughs> it's coming right for us. Um, we filmed a video of us filming the video 
So it was kind of like what we went through to make this video for the Cast King booth at iCast. We had one day to film it. You can watch it now on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. And we got these new Fish Hunt Forever uh, sun shirts and hats. They're going to be coming to the Fish Hunt Forever store. And through the month of July, we're donating all proceeds, 15% of all proceeds to Minfish, who is providing uh, advocacy work for the future of fishing in Minnesota. Is there an ice cream stain on that shirt? I got it out. Did you really? Yeah. You were all bent out of shape about that oh. yesterday. Holy cow. First day I wore it, and we stopped to get <laughs> ice cream, fails. of course, because I was with Dan, so we had to stop and get ice cream. Had to? Well, yeah, actually, we did have to. <laughs> <laughs> he was driving, so he had. we had to, but it was delicious. I had some ice cream, too. It was really good. I was trying to be so careful, because that's the problem with these light white, these light sun shirts. You want the lighter colored ones, because it's hot and sunny, but you don't want to get anything on them. And especially because we're filming in them and taking pictures, I want to keep them clean. And right, first day, first day, brand new shirt, ice cream, right down the front of it, in the car. Adds character. But uh, I got it out. I'm pretty impressed with my... Did you use Ecolab to do it? Did I get it all out? <laughs> Maybe you didn't. <laughs> Stand up. Yeah. Let the viewers decide. I think I got it out because I think it was like, right. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't see anything. Different. I think that's, that's a, a new, new stage. We don't want to know what that is. <laughs> But it was, the ice cream, I think, was right here, right here, maybe. I don't know. It's gone. Good enough for me. And it won't be the last thing I put in it, that's no. for sure. You will see many more, I'm sure, put in. But it's a fishing shirt, so who really cares? But these will be available soon in the Fish Hunt Forever store. We uh, we got some, wanted to try them out before we started selling them. And these hats, too, we wanted to see how they look. And I've already been selling them. I think the first shipment's going to be gone before I can put it in the store, just from friends and, and neighbors. So... Uh, we'll, we'll get more. We'll put them in the store. I got a request today to get a hot pink one. Whoa. Nice. To put in the store. So I'd rock that. We'll try. <laughs> I bet you will. Don't, you wear a pink shirt every once in a while, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. A bright pink. It's yeah. salmon. No, it's it's hot pink. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you wear says, a pink shirt? My wife says, I can't even look at you. It's so bright. Oh, she didn't get it for you? Nope. Well, you got you got a pink shirt on your own. I got it for, from work. Are you colorblind? Oh. You're colorblind. I am. Yeah. So I might be wearing pink and I'd have no idea. <laughs> um, whatever. All right. So check it out. Uh, if you go to sportingjournalradio.com, click on store, you'll see uh, we got a bunch of really cool stuff in the store and we're donating it to a good cause. Uh, David, you recently went on a bit of a road trip. I did. Where'd you go? Uh, southern Minnesota, southern Wisconsin. Well, uh, hang on. When people ask Wisconsin. you that question, what, did you, what was your answer? Where, where were you going? Uh, we left Granite Falls, and the destination was Granite Falls. <laughs> <laughs> you were on a motorcycle. Yeah, we did a thousand-mile loop. Wow. And were you walking funny for a couple of days afterwards? Uh, my legs were sore the next day, yeah. I, I felt like I ran a marathon. What was the idea behind this? Uh, it's called 1K in a day, so you got 24 hours to do a thousand miles. Oh, it's a thing. Like It's oh, yeah. a challenge people do. Yep. So we did it in 18 hours and 40 minutes. Wow. That Is that pretty enough. good? I don't know what it would be. Uh, it's average. There's okay. a lot faster ones, but not around here. <laughs> okay. So a where lot did, faster times, I should so say. So you, you planned out then a thousand mile route, looked at a map and yep. said, let's do Hopped this. on Google and made a route and yeah, stuck to it. And it, uh, it was a long day. <laughs> It's that's like that's a that's a thousand miles on a motorcycle without opening your mouth. 
It's <laughs> without yeah. smiling. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just cleaning clean bugs out. out your teeth. Because this time of year, too, July, and going through Minnesota and Wisconsin, and if you go for 18 hours, you gotta, you're going through that sunrise and that sunset time, and if you go near water at all, there's but like it sounds like it's raining when you're driving through with your truck. Yeah, it, it was, was it was uh, 50 degrees in the morning, so it was pretty cold when you're going 60. 60. 60. <laughs> sure. And, I don't know uh, if any sure. law enforcement listens to this. I feel like we got <laughs> I robbed. They do. Uh, one yeah. of the guys on it, he's like, I feel like I got robbed of a sunrise because it was all that Canadian wildfire smoke no. at sunrise. So we didn't really. You could see the sun poking up through the smoke but that was about it hmm. so the sunset was nice i don't know and it got cold again that night but yeah i think we got back about 10 30. so you didn't have, you didn't deal with bugs too much then because it's no cold, i think probably. it was cold enough sure what about deer uh we saw a few nothing off in the distance nothing nothing uh jumped out of the ditch at us while we were riding so that's nice but saw a few I mean, Western Wisconsin, for sure, just because I got experience there in Western Minnesota around that dusk time, especially this time of year, there's deer all over the road. Oh, yeah. We, uh, all of them we saw were out in fields. Hmm. A couple on the field edge at the ditch. But you weren't in the fields with? No. Okay. Nope. <laughs> you kept, kept it on, it on the, the road? Okay. <laughs> Good. What, what, uh, anything surprised you or is there anything that stood out from the trip or was it just all kind of a blur because you were driving so much? Um... Yeah, it gets to be kind of a blur. Nothing. Can't remember. There's a town in Wisconsin that had a giant deer statue with a giant rack. I'd have to look back on, on the route. It was just before it was uh, east of Little Falls. Little Falls. Well, hang on. In no. Little Falls, Minnesota, east of there. Oh, are you talking about in Minnesota? No, it was in Wisconsin before we crossed into Minnesota. I was like, oh, so man. east of Little well, Falls is like that could be Saint a lot Cloud. of that's central Minnesota. Yeah, You're talking about Saint Croix Falls. Are you talking about Deerwood, Minnesota? Oh, maybe it was Minnesota. I don't know. There Here, hang like on, let me pull up the picture. Foot. Oh yeah, there's the deer. Yeah, that's Deerwood. That's yeah. Minnesota. Minnesota. I don't know. There was like a tiny sign crossing back into Minnesota, so I don't know exactly where we were, but. I was like, oh, well, that's man, that would have been cool to stop and take a picture with. They put an orange, yeah, you see, they put an orange vest on that during gun season. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd never seen that before. Yeah. That that stuck out to me because I'm getting excited for deer season, so. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so would you do it again? This is the second one I've done. No? And, uh, yeah, I'd do it again. The last one was five years ago, so. Well, we got an 18-hour drive in front of us, but we're going to be in a in, on four wheels with air conditioning. Yeah. And, and uh, but we're going to Tazan Lake Lodge. We can't fit all of our camera gear and two dogs on a motorcycle. <laughs> well, have we tried? We could try. You, you kind of try, fun, actually. I don't know. You'd have to have a trailer. We're not going to get very far. You got one we can borrow? You want to go? Yeah. Nope. You wanna, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. So uh, over the next couple of weeks, you'll be hearing us talk about Tazan Lake Lodge quite a bit here on this show, and uh, we'll be sharing some pictures and videos. Of course, we'll be filming Tazan TV uh, for. There's another YouTube channel for you to check out Tazan Lake Lodge on there to see what it is that we're going to be doing while we're up there. Um, how do we got to take a break or how are we doing, Dan? Well, we definitely could, but we definitely also don't have to. We All right. Well, do why don't we do we this? Want. Why don't we take a break? We're going to talk food plots and find out where David's food plots are at right now, what his next plan is for his food plots. So if you're planting food plots, he might give you some advice on what you can do when we come back on Sporting Journal Radio. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties. All in the palm of your hand. 
The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Kodiak, a North American waterfowl film, is coming to the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. I've been a sea duck hunter for about 30 seconds, and I've already got one that's probably going to go on the wall, so this is the coolest duck hunt I've ever been on. Presented by Boss Shot Shells, with support from Sitka and Beretta, and additional support from Alclair Outdoors, High Prairie Animal Arts, and the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders. Watch Kodiak on the Fish Hunt Forever YouTube channel. We're back, Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in wherever you're tuning in. I'm Brett Amundsen along with Dan Amundsen and David Eckhart. And it is that time of year we're getting excited about hunting season. One of the best parts is checking trail cameras, planting food plots, and just gearing up for the season, getting your gear out of storage. Uh, David, are you starting to see a bunch of deer on camera? Uh, I only have one camera out right now. but I'll Are be you crazy? Them. I'll what be getting you? them out next week. How many I, do you own, David? I think 20. <laughs> what? <laughs> 20 he has one out well i had to take him in because they some of them have been in the woods for a couple of years so i needed to clean the battery corrosion out of the battery oh, yeah. cases and clean the lenses and clean the bird poop off of them and yeah they needed some tlc all right so you're getting a few deer on camera uh that one camera that i still have running has yes been uh getting getting a few pictures nothing too big yet and that's on one of your food plots I'd, I'd assume it will be a green plot yeah it's just dirt right now but okay and so what are you going to plant there uh, it'll be a turnip radish clover mix and you're getting ready to plant that already yeah i'm going to do them earlier this year i think why is that well last year was kind of dry and i did them in mid-august and i just wished they would have been a little bit bigger a little more mm. green to them they were pretty short so i'm hoping Hoping for rain and planting earlier this year that they'll get a little bit bigger and have a little more food to sustain the deer through late season, so. Well, I feel like we're definitely getting more rain than last year. Not that we're getting a ton of rain this year, but. Yeah, so, I don't know. Most of my food plots, the corn and beans in them look pretty good. Now, your, is your food plot corn as big as your crop, the crops you're growing? One food plot is, the is corn's it? 12 feet tall. Oh my. 12 feet tall, that seems insane to me. Yeah, I walked walked in there yesterday and I couldn't believe it. The corn around here is pretty tall too. I walked through it and it was it was definitely towering over my head. But to think about corn being twelve feet tall, I mean, how often do you see that? Not real often, but that's in like a perfect spot. It's in an abandoned grove, so it's got trees. It's protected from the wind. It gets good sunlight. It's been getting good rain. So there's two or three ears of corn on that, or two or three cobs of corn on each stock. So are they that? And how's the the growth on those cobs right now it's it was they were surprisingly pretty big oh really already yeah so is it you know is that 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 kind of doubles your production then i suppose yeah. when you're that when you're that so you want corn to grow that tall right yeah if it's if it's got enough nutrients to grow that tall it's gonna grow some pretty big corn now you were talking about having some sort of plan to determine how much deer and raccoons or whatever are eating your food plots right yeah so i'm gonna do a growth ring which is just basically a wire ring six foot tall that you put in with a fence post just to see um, how tall the stuff is getting 
without the deer being able to eat it. Because I've had food plots in the past where I think, oh man, this isn't growing very good, but it'll be nice to see what it's actually growing to versus what the deer are eating it off to. So I'm going to try a few of those this year, I think. Yeah. You th- I mean, it's funny how how much damage they can do. And you, it's, you don't always know. Like, it's right. hard to notice sometimes. So yeah, it'll be a interesting project to just to see how much it gets grazed down. How much sweet corn do you do? I I have maybe eight rows, 100 yards long. It's not a lot, but the deer have already been attacking that in my yard. <laughs> is that literally all it's for, is just for for a food plot, or do you, you no, pick some and eat some? Or? No, I'm growing it to yeah eat and freeze. And okay. Last year when I planted it, I think we got one one or two meals out of it, the raccoons and the deer ate more of it than I did. <laughs> you going to have a little stand in Granite Falls or David's going to be sitting on the tailgate of his pickup? Yeah. Selling sweet corn? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no produce stand? No, I don't think we're going to produce enough sweet corn to sell. <laughs> so I've always had this idea of like doing a, a food plot of sweet corn. Like, is it is it hard to grow? And the idea would be to, to grow it, to, to plant a big enough plot that A, it'd be a good early season uh, food plot for deer, but then harvest it and then use it as a place to shoot geese early season as well. I mean, it's definitely doable. It, it would, it's a lot of work. You'd have to fence the whole thing off to keep deer and raccoons out of it. All right, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a, too much work already. I'll just, I'll just plant a wheat field. How, how, how have your other gardens gone? Oh, terrible. <laughs> I, the corn was the only thing I could grow. And that's a, that. I was surprised at that. At least the sweet corn's Roundup ready. You can just spray the weeds. You don't have to worry about. Oh, really? Hand oh, okay. weeding it. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I did not do any part of that. There was no hand weeding it. Our garden was terrible. All right. Well, uh, keep us updated. You. Uh, how often do you spray your food plots? So I sprayed them. I sprayed them all at the end of May when I planted uh, corn and beans, and I sprayed them all again now this last week. And is it, is that, as now, is all that stuff round, are you using Roundup or do you have? Yep. Okay. Roundup. So that stuff's all Roundup ready? Yeah. It's so just leftover seed from. You're just spraying the whole thing then as yeah. you go. Okay. And then the plots that I'm going to put turnips and stuff in, I just sprayed them all to keep the weeds down. Otherwise it'd be six foot tall of weeds and I'd have to go mow it. And that's just an extra trip. So. So when you, so say here at the end of July, you're going to plant turnips. Um, what, when. When do you start to see, you know, the benefit of that? I see the leaves probably start coming up pretty quick. They start yeah, sprouting. Yeah, depending on rain. When do you start to see growth? In uh, it's usually within two weeks. It'll oh. start. To, it'll start to green up pretty quick. So, but that's that's meant for something a little bit later in the season for them to come feed on, right? Um, I've done them in the spring before, and it seems like they get too big. Like, okay. I don't know if they get like the stems get hard and the. I don't know. It seems like the deer like them when they're little and they don't put on much of a bulb. The one I did early got, they hit it in the spring, but then when hunting season came, they weren't really touching it. And then winter came and they still weren't hitting it until like January 2nd, like Hmm. two days after the season ended. Then there was a hundred deer in there (laughs) digging up the bulbs, but of course. So I like the fall planting better. Okay. 
Well, we're going to keep talking big game on the show. In fact, we're going to talk more elk opportunities in Minnesota with Mike Schrag and Blake and Clement coming up in just a little bit. And we'll uh, discuss where we're at with the relocation in northeastern Minnesota. Uh, also, a couple quick things. Uh, the, rough drum, the rough grouse drum counts came out here recently. They were uh, one and a half drums per stop. It was down from almost three last year. But uh, this, the, it's still a pretty good number overall. And it doesn't always equate to fall success. Uh, the statewide number also includes surveys in the central hardwood forests, areas in southeastern hardwood forests where less grouse habitat exists. Also, if you uh, got a bear license, you have to purchase your if you I think I suppose if you won in the lottery, I suppose you have to buy your license by August 1st. And then by August 4th, any surplus licenses that are available will be available. So there's a couple of deadlines for you for licensing in Minnesota in any way. Uh, also, we're going to have more talk on that potential mushroom bag limits coming up next week on the show. We'll have a couple mushroom experts. If you haven't heard about that, you can watch some videos on uh, our YouTube channel and social media channels about it right now. Otherwise, tune in next week's Sporting Journal Radio to find out more. Right now, we're going to check in with Joe Henry from Lake of the Woods Tourism for a fishing report. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Okay, Joe, you're back from ICAST, and uh, man, I, I've got a couple of buddies that are up at Lake of the Woods this week, and it sounds like fishing is, you know, it's that time of year when fishing gets tough for walleyes in a lot of places, but not at Lake of the Woods. It seems like it just keeps getting better and better. Tell you what, you're you spot on, and you know what, uh, if, if you don't believe me because you think I'm telling you a tainted story, just turn on social media for any angle that fishes Lake of the Woods, and you'll find out for yourself. You know what? Summer is awesome on Lake of the Woods. It's a very consistent bite. Right now, those fish are over deep mud. And my goodness, are we catching big fish. We are catching a lot of monster walleyes. 28 to 32 inch walleyes are coming in every single day. And, you know, it doesn't sound like much. We talk about a 28 to 32 inch walleye. There's people that fish their whole life and don't catch a fish that big, especially when you talk about the dirty 30. Okay, calm down. We get it. You caught one 30-incher in your life, Brett. Two. Oh, sorry. Oh, my bad. My bad. <laughs> Calm down. Let's get it right. Take Don't your, you forget take, it. Take a break here. Two more than you. Hey, can can you tell that story about the one you caught on your live scope again? I don't think I've ever heard that story. Yeah, so before. we were trolling. No. S&P, the choice for me. I don't know why I hit that button. <laughs> Stands Anyways. first day. Big fish up there right now, Joe. And there, there was a tournament recently, right, that had had a pretty big bag? Yeah, you know, one of the sporting goods stores up in the world area is actually uh, the Woods Goods, and uh, they have a, an annual walleye tournament each year on Lake of the Woods. And But I tell you what, you want to talk about a, a winning bag of fish. Now, they use that Fish Donkey app for their scoring where you, you measure the fish and then it converts it to pounds. But I'll tell you what, they had, I think, a five-fish five limit was the, the bag limit, I believe. They had, they had almost a 30-inch average for every single walleye. I think three of the walleyes were 30 inches and the other two were, I think they had a 29 and something and a 28 something. But Unreal. I mean, you want to talk about some big fish. That's nuts. Isn't that something? Yeah. So who was it? That was Will. Is that, Will? that's Will right there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Will Poppenfoos and Aaron Schmitz took home 
that uh, winning bag. Nearly a 30-inch yeah. average. It's uh, quite a day. Unreal. Quite and, a day. and congrats, guys. I mean, you know what? Uh, some people, you, you know, uh, I'll tell you what, regardless of how they're catching them and what technology they had and whatever else, everybody else has that same opportunity. And kudos to those guys for going out and finding some big-headed walleyes and making them bite. And, you know, what? that's the name of the game. And it just goes yeah. to show those big fish are out there. And I'll tell you what, you should see the number of big walleyes coming off our charter boats right now. Joe, hang on, hang on a second, Joe. Before you get into that, Dan, put put their sponsors back up on the list because I think I figured out their secret Uh-oh. to catching those big fish. One second. You, you know, sponsors can really help help you fish, especially if they got some great gear that you're using. And I'm looking through their list, and I see that they're sponsored by Papa Murphy's Pizza, and that's clearly <laughs> what put them over the top in this tournament. What else do we got? Hmm? Uh, Half Brothers Brewing Company. <laughs> Beer and pizza. There it is. That's the new sponsors of Sporting <laughs> Journal Radio, by the way. Papa Murphy's and Half Brothers Brewing Company. Thinking out oh, of the yeah. box, baby. <laughs> you don't want to do what everybody else is doing. It gets watered down. Go get a new sponsor and bring them into the fishing industry. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So, uh, I mean, there a lot of ways, a few different ways to catch fish this time up there of the year up there, Joe. Yeah, and you know, really, there's there, there are three different ways people are primarily catching. There's a lot of ways people are catching walleyes, of course. But, you know, really the most popular ways, you know, the, a lot of those fish are setting up out in that deep mud, out in a deep, the deep basin of Big Traverse Bay. And consequently, hey, pulling crankbaits and pulling spinners, drifting spinners, are two very popular ways. Yet there's still some people jigging. If you're on structure, you got to, you know, you get a good school of fish under you. You know, if you're sharp shooting them, people are are doing everything from pitching jigging wraps to them to however they do them if they're sharpshooting, which means using your forward-facing sonar. But but overall, as a rule, pulling crankbaits and pulling spinners with a crawler are the two most popular ways. You know, here's the deal. When you're out on that big basin, there is a lot of water. There is miles and miles and miles of mud out there. That mud is like a big aquarium. It There is bait. There's different kind of hatches going on. There are random schools of walleyes in many different places. However, there's so much water. There's a lot of water. There isn't a school. There aren't schools of walleyes. So it really helps to get out there and then just be flexible. I say be flexible. Use your electronics. See where the other boats are. Are other boats scooping in a certain area? There's so much water out there. You don't have to get real close to them. But the point of it is, you know, watch your electronics. Is there bait? Are there hooks or, 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 or indications of walleyes? You know what? Uh, where are the walleyes? Are they on the bottom? Are they up a little bit? And then when you find signs of life, that's when you start fishing them. If you're pulling crankbaits, you know, right now the, the, the most the average speed is anywhere from 2.5 to 3.5 miles per hour. You might think 3.5, holy smokes, that's moving. It's moving pretty quick, but, you know, you're looking to get that reaction bite. Um, what kind of crankbaits are they using? You know what? They're using shad wraps. They're using wally divers. They're using... Um, I mean, we can go on and on with the different kind of cranks. Some yeah. cranks have a tight wobble. Some have a real wide wobble. Some are a minnow style where they're long and skinny. Some are the shad style. Mix it up, especially if you're fishing with somebody else. And you can use two lines or more, if you, maybe three or four people in the boat. Mix it up. Try the different wobbles. Try the different colors. Put that bait right in front of their nose. Have it hit the bottom a little bit. Raise that sucker up about three feet above their head. Sometimes fish they're used to feeding up if they don't feed up they don't feed because it's not instinctive try some different things when you're when you're trolling brett you know don't just go at the same speed and just go 
speed it up, slow it down, make a right turn, make a left Catch turn. Catch on the turns. Yeah, Yeah, the, the lures on the outside go faster and they, and they rise and, and the lures on the inside slow down. That's a lot of times when you get whacked, you know. Um, how do you get your lures down deep in front of fish? If you have downriggers on a boat, like a charter boat does, that's a really good way. But downriggers are expensive and most people yeah. don't have them. You know what? Lead core line. Um, how about using snap weights where you let 25 or 50 feet of line out and then you snap a you know, a one or two ounce weight on the line and, and then lower it down again. What about using a four ounce bottom bouncer and a six, six foot piece of mono or, or fluorocarbon with a shallow diving crankbait? You want to talk about an inexpensive way to be really effective in getting your lure down in 30 to 34 feet of water to catch these walleyes. I mean, th those are all really great ways. And then just, and then just go fishing. And most people are going to have a, you, you know, a good, uh, a good stretch of, of luck. You're going to find some fish. Well, Joe, I know we were going to try to get up there this week. We didn't make it up, but um, we got to be in Bemidji for the Aglow Conference, and we're going to be fishing around Bemidji. I'm sure it's going to be great, but after the conference is over, Dan, should we take should Skip duck opener and go walleye fishing in. A couple of days Let's of Lake of the Woods go. after the conference. Let's go. Cast and blast Lake of the Woods duck uh, opener? Yeah. We'll talk Well, you know, I'll tell you, the duck hunting up there, you guys, you know, if you, if you haven't done it, you guys, honest to goodness, you, you know this from past the Glow Conferences. There are some duck hunting spots up there that are off the radar screen. Yeah, it's not like that many people duck hunt anymore. And, you know, the, the one thing about the water of Lake of the Woods with all the bays and the rivers and things like that, that water is public. So you don't have to get permission from a landowner or anything like that. And you can just go sit off in a back little bay. You know, I'll never forget the duck hunting show I shot a number of years ago. We went on a four-mile bay. We picked, picked, uh, picked out a patch of reeds put two groups of decoys out so the ducks would land in between them. Shoot, we were shooting ducks all morning long. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. The ducks were still coming down. There was thousands staged up in the northwest angle, and there, the divers were breaking off in flocks of like 10 to 15 and coming down. And there was a big flock out in the middle of four-mile bay, so most were attracted to them. But some would take a swing by and say hello before they uh, went to the big flock and uh, – We'd give them a nice welcome when we take that. Yeah, it's going to be that time of the year here pretty soon. We're excited about it. Joe, if people want to plan a trip to Lake of the Woods, what should they do? Hey, check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Live Target, the leader in Match the Hatch, is back with new lures that also match the action. Introducing the Live Craw. The Live Craw is irresistible to bass, walleye, and other freshwater species. FTEX winner, the ultimate frog, looks and acts just like a swimming frog. With an exposed ultra point mustad hook and replaceable legs, the ultimate frog has two styles, two sizes, and eight colors. And ICAST and FTEX winner, the Live Shrimp, mimics a fleeing shrimp for saltwater anglers. Coming soon from Live Target. Well, a lot has happened if you're into the outdoor world here in Minnesota and the surrounding states, of course, but a lot of money getting pumped into the outdoors and you gotta be excited about it because it, it means uh, some help in areas that needed help and also some help for some new projects that a lot of people have been getting excited about, including Elk in northeastern Minnesota and two guys that have been a part of this for a, a long, long time are joining us. And maybe maybe the two most excited people in the state maybe about this. I don't know. We'll find <laughs> out. But uh, Mike Schrag, uh, wildlife biologist for the Fond du Lac Band and also Blaine Klemick, the regional wildlife manager of the northwest region from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Join us. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Great. Doing well. Thank you. Good Is morning. that an accurate statement or have you run into people that are more excited about this than you guys? Uh, well, I, can, I would. I, go 
Go ahead, ahead Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> They're so excited. They're talking over each other. Minnesota nice. There you go. Um, I, you know, I, I've run into a lot of people that are pretty jazzed about this idea. Yeah, for sure. And, and are you guys excited about it, Blaine, or is this just kind of another day at the office for you? No, this is not another day. This has been, <laughs> this is a dream, actually yeah. a dream that, uh, a lot of us have had for a very long time, and that is to, to create excitement about elk in Minnesota because it's a fact, and Mike will, will definitely attest to this, that um, there are people in Minnesota that don't even realize we have elk and uh, that we uh, could potentially have elk in northeast Minnesota too um, is exciting for a lot of people. And, and as people get to know more and more about this project, and get to know a little bit more about our Northwest herds. Uh, I think it's just going to compound, and, and it'll it'll just create more excitement. So, how long is this idea? Who, who, where did this idea come from, and how long has it been in the process? And did it did it involve like you guys meeting halfway between Grigla and Cloquet under a tall pine tree under the cover of darkness? You know, I mean, like like how is this process? Where did it, where did it start and how did we get here? Uh, so I, I, um, I, I was just looking back over, um, some of these things, uh, before this, uh, podcast. Um, I think that this elk idea of moving elk to Northeast Minnesota originated with the Fond du Lac band. Um, and, uh, it probably has its earliest origins in about 2014. Um, and in 2014 and 2015, I was telling people, Based on what other states have done, this is probably going to be a 10-year process, and so we're right about on schedule now. Oh, wow. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been percolating and moving forward. We had a lot of pre-work to do, um, which we did with the uh, University of Minnesota and the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, looking at uh, habitat feasibility and, and public support for elk in this area. Um, so we had to we had to check some of those boxes and make sure we had enough support um, and uh, and enough suitable habitat elk for here. And uh, yeah, we, we got those done in 2019. Um, and then uh, it took a while to put together a formal proposal uh, to move elk. Um, and uh, uh, so that was released by the Fond du Lac band in, um, uh, June of 2021. And, uh, yeah, I, it was nothing as dramatic as, as meeting, uh, Blaine under a tree somewhere, you know, uh, in, in the age of internet, I could just send him an email. Um, but, uh, we, the, the Fond du Lac band has had a lot of conversations throughout this process with, um, with the Minnesota DNR, um, uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, um, and, and a lot of other interested parties um, through this whole journey. Now, was there, was there any idea for this? I mean, was the idea for this basically born out of the fact that a lot of people wanted to see the herd grow in the Northwest, but a lot of people up there didn't? You know, and I, I'm not going to blame any farmers or ranchers for not wanting, you know, crop de- degrada- depredation or uh, uh, knocking down fences and, and having issues. Obviously, they've been having some problems up there, and I get the, I get all that. But a lot of people were excited about those big animals and wanted to see more. Is that kind of where this idea came from? 
You know, I, uh, it, 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 as I remember it, it was a combination of um, reading about uh, some of the efforts Wisconsin was going through at about that time to grow their elk herd. And then also looking across at, um, at uh, fisheries, which at the time was, uh, and still is, uh, working to reestablish sturgeon in the St. Louis River there, uh, flows into Lake Superior, and it's like, gosh darn it, maybe we can do something like that with elk in northeast Minnesota. Sure. Well, I want to talk about uh, that reintroduction a little bit in Wisconsin and what you might what you might have learned from that, though <clears throat> those efforts, what worked, and maybe if, if there's anything that maybe you do a little bit differently. I want to ask you a little bit about that. But Blaine, let's just talk about the Northwest elk herd just a little bit. Um, that I think that goes back about a hundred years, right? R- original reintroduction efforts up there, and it's 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 had its ups and downs, um, but overall, it's been where it's at now. It's kind of been in place for for a little while now, right? It has, yeah, you bet, Brett. You know, elk in Minnesota, um, I, you know, who knows for sure, but there's probably always been elk, uh, especially up in the Northwest. But, yes, the history of it uh, goes back over 100 years when uh, at one point in time, um, uh, you know, a certain number of elk were translocated from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and, and uh, uh Oddly enough, uh, from an actual elk farm in Ramsey County, uh, where a herd was uh, attempted to be established in Itasca State Park, and uh, yeah, there's uh, there's a timeline right there for for the viewers, um, and you know, uh, basically from then on, um, elk had been uh, translocated from the Itasca State Park up in the, the far northwest, uh, and eventually. The animals that were at Itasca uh, is really the source herd for that Grigla population today in uh, far northwest Kitson County. Um, elk have probably trickled in from Manitoba, for example, um, and and who knows? You know, North and South Dakota both have elk, and uh, if you look at today in Minnesota, we have uh, on the DNR website uh, a tool that uh, our IT folks in in the state, uh, Minnesota DNR, um, developed to help us, uh, uh, to help actually the public help us um, find uh, learning about elk uh, distribution throughout the state through a, through a reporting tool. And so staff, I uh, should say uh, staff as, as well, but uh, people from uh, all over the state can report their elk sightings. Uh, and uh, actually have a, an elk sighting. There it is, elk sighting tool. Um, and you, know, you can see all kinds of uh, waypoints there, and you can clearly see that there are a lot of elk being reported by the public just popping up everywhere. And, and a lot of times what's these outside primary range, these animals are coming, uh, are, are typically, I should say, um, young bulls, you know, probably looking for, for cows or just, you know, they're, they're a wandering animal. They're nomadic. And so in any event, this this is also was designed uh, to create some excitement, some awareness of elk in the state of Minnesota. And, and, and one thing I wanted to add before I forget, when Mike was talking about, you know, the genesis of, uh, of uh, the reintroduction of restoration of elk to northeast Minnesota, um, th- we have 
in the state, two different uh, citizen work groups that work with us to help us help DNR um, manage uh, elk on the landscape. And these citizens groups, one is in Kitson County for that those Kitson uh, elk herds, and there's one in Grigla. And these are citizens comprised of uh, you know producers, uh, you know livestock producers, farmers, ranchers, as well as uh, elk enthusiasts, hunters, uh, various. Uh, non-government organizations, you know, just a, just a mishmash of uh, folks that are interested in elk. And some of our elk work group members have actually brought it up to us as a group, um, this, this notion, this idea of translocating elk to, to places in the state of Minnesota, like other states do, like for example, Kentucky does this, uh, Wisconsin did it, as Mike mentioned, but uh, this idea of taking some animals from northwest Minnesota and putting, you know, a handful of them into areas of the state that uh, could support an elk population. Like right here where I live, uh, the, Bemidji, the Bemidji area, this, this location in the state of Minnesota could harbor elk if they would show up. Plenty of public land. There isn't a whole lot of agriculture, especially row crop agriculture. There's interest in, in elk in this part of the state. So some of that had already been talked about by some of the, the elk work group members kind of looking to the east, eastern United States, and seeing what other states are doing. And now why can't Minnesota get in on the act? And here we are basically there. Um, you know, we got, we're a couple years out potentially for uh, translocating animals from the northwest part to the northeast part of the state. So all good and all exciting. Uh, that's Blaine Klemek and Mike Schrag. That's our, our guests right now talking about the elk reintroduction to Minnesota's Northeast. We got to take a quick break, man. I would you could put them in my backyard, by the way. I just want to say that my neighbors <laughs> who, are, who all farm would not like that. I'm sure as much as I would, but you can put them right in the backyard. I'd be okay with that. Uh, we'll talk more <laughs> about this process when we come back on Sporting Journal Radio. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep, and I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. We're back. This is Sporting Journal Radio. Thanks for tuning in on this station on the network by demand or downloading the podcast at sportingjournalradio.com. Maybe you're watching this on YouTube. Thank you very much. We're talking elk in Minnesota. How many do we have? Where are they at? Where are they going to be? And when could you potentially be able to hunt them in a new place in Minnesota? We're going to answer all those questions for you. Uh, now with our guests, uh, Mike Schrag, uh, wildlife biologist for the Fond du Lac Band and also Blaine Klemek, regional wildlife manager of the Northwest region with the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. Uh, 
$2.3 million was recently appropriated by the Minnesota legislature uh, for this process of putting elk in northeast. And before the break there, we, we showed a, a, a sightings map of where elk have been sighted in Minnesota. And if you look at it, it's you're, you're kind of surprised to see it there in the western part of the state in the southwest. But, Dan, look at the northeastern part of the state. There's a big area there that uh, there hasn't been a lot of sightings, but that could potentially change. Uh, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about this range where uh, elk are uh, potentially going to be relocated to? Yeah, so the the site we we picked to try elk restoration, um, it lies about 20 miles west of Duluth um, and and, uh, includes most of the Fond du Lac Reservation, um, but then also surrounding areas uh, between Cloquet, Floodwood, and Cromwell. Um, includes a lot of uh, uh, county-managed forest land, St. Louis and Carleton County, uh, as well as state forest land um, on the Fond du Lac State Forest. Uh, there's also quite a bit of private land mixed into this as well. So, so they, all told, I think it was, uh, it's about a 292 square mile area. Now, when I think about the Arrowhead region of Minnesota, that, when it comes to Minnesota anyway, that feels like more typical elk country to me. When I learned about the elk up in the Northwest and then uh, and subsequent trips to the, the prairies of Canada, when I see when I see an elk walking through a wheat field in Saskatchewan, it just you know it's like I'm picturing them in the you know in the in the badlands of the Dakotas or in the mountains of Colorado and Montana. It's weird to me to see, to see elk in the prairie. How how do you think? elk will adapt to i mean i i'd assume it wouldn't be too hard for them to adapt to the the, the more forested region of the northeastern part of the state and in, a, in that maybe in the answer here uh, some people have has said why why aren't we bringing back woodland caribou you know they were they were up there in that part of the state they're more suited maybe for that type of habitat um ex- explain how elk will adapt to that habitat mike Sure. Um, so one of the, the beauties of, of elk is they are a, um, an extremely adaptable animal. Um, in North America, elk live from Arkansas to Alaska and North Carolina to California, um, all kinds of habitats in between. Um, in the upper Midwest, um, elk are a forested animal um, and, uh, and, and depend a lot on young aspen stands to provide forage. Um, and, and so they're, they're not so much a wilderness animal as um, uh, maybe do better in managed forests. Um, and, and, we, and we have quite a lot of, of active timber harvest uh, in, in this area on, on the public and private lands. Aspen is a key species, so I think we are constantly creating um, those young aspen stands that that elk will prefer. Have you had to explain to people how how beneficial timber management is, not just to the to the woods, but to wildlife that inhabit the woods? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably part of any uh, forest wildlife manager's job is is explaining um, you know how how timber management interacts with wildlife populations, um, and for many kinds of wildlife, it's it's beneficial. For others, uh, depending on on how much timber harvest and what you're cutting, uh, you know it's it's less beneficial. Um, but but certainly sure. for elk. 
um, Aspen and, and young Aspen stands um, that are generally created um, by, by timber harvest uh, are, are going to be beneficial for them. Uh, that's that's the clear message we're getting from from Michigan and Wisconsin is uh, is put a lot of young aspen on the landscape if if you want to create good elk habitat. And what when people say why not woodland caribou, what do you tell them? Mm. Uh, I in short, I think the uh, the time for caribou has passed. Um, as much as I would like to see them come back, uh, there was an effort made in the 1990s looking at restoring woodland caribou um, up into places like Cook County. Um, there was some potential habitat considered uh, in the boundary waters uh, for that restoration effort. And then in 1999, all of that mature habitat, that mature forest habitat that woodland caribou rely on, it all blew down in that 1999 windstorm. Oh, um, yeah. Created excellent moose habitat, but it's not caribou habitat anymore. Uh, caribou are also um, painfully susceptible to brainworm, um, parasite carried by white-tailed deer, um, as are moose um, and other animals, but caribou seem really susceptible to it. Um, and they're also, it's really hard to establish caribou populations when you have robust predator populations, um, mm. both bears and wolves, which we do in northeast Minnesota. Um, Maine tried to reestablish caribou in the 80s and 90s, I think, and, and that effort largely failed, and a lot of that was, uh, it did fail, and a lot of that was, was due to predation. Um, so I, I just, I mean, as much as I would like to see caribou returned, um, I, I think the time for caribou has passed. Um, and with climate change, I, I don't know that it's it's going to come back. Well, this makes it for an easy transition to the next question then, because the number one thing you have to be hearing from people is, boy, this is, you know, we're just going to be feeding the wolves up there by, by putting elk over there. What, you know, what you have to probably account for some predation and obviously Wisconsin has some wolves. They don't have as many as Minnesota does, but obviously, and they've got a lot of black bears over there. So they've obviously had to deal with predation. Was it not as big of a, an impact as you thought it would be or the, the biologists over there? Or what do you think the impact is going to be? Um, yeah. So first I'd, I'd quibble with your first point. It's not the number one thing people ask me about. The number one thing people ask me about is, can you put those elk on my land? Um, <laughs> followed by how is this going to work with the wolves? Um, and, and I, I would point out that, um, uh, Wisconsin, the, the forested areas of Wisconsin have, just as many wolves as the forested areas of Minnesota, if you look at wolf densities on the landscape. And wolves in Wisconsin actually have more protection than they do in Minnesota. Um, I don't know that people realize how many wolves are harvested every year um, over livestock depredations mm. in Minnesota. Um, in spite of abundant wolves and bears on the landscape in Wisconsin, and wolves are the leading cause of mortality for elk in Wisconsin, but in spite of that, Wisconsin is growing their both elk herds that they have, and both herds live in wolf range, 
And Wisconsin now in the northern herd is the, what their fifth or sixth hunting season in a row now. Um, so, uh, and, and our elk in northwest Minnesota currently live in bear and wolf range, and yet we need to have a hunting season to keep those numbers within their, the herd numbers within prescribed limits. Sure. Um, so I. I am confident that if we put a, enough animals on the landscape here in eastern Minnesota to jumpstart the herd and we provide enough good habitat for them that they will cope with predation. I mean, elk, elk grew up living with wolf and grizzly bear and black bear predation. They'll be okay if we provide the cover and food and space that they need. Oh, gri- grizzly bears aren't that big of a deal. They don't. They don't. Yeah, no, that's that's the <laughs> second. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that. I mean you, br- you you nailed it. You bring enough. I mean, there's a lot of meat on an elk. You give you, you give them a couple yeah. of elk to, to feed I, on and and have enough you numbers know, I, to to account for I, it. I I think it it will not take our local wolves very long to realize that elk are delicious eating. Um, but it yeah if. If we put enough elk on the landscape, they they will be able to escape the predation pressures. If we only put 10 or 12 elk on the landscape, it's not going to be enough. Um, yeah. We're going to have to do more than that. Well, let's let's talk about that, um, mm-hmm. Blaine. Let's talk about numbers of elk up in the northwest and why why our elk have to come from there. Um, is is part of this process? As this idea has come along. Uh, Efforts to combat chronic wasting disease have really stepped up. They've kind of changed the game when it comes to translocating animals, haven't they, Blaine? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's chronic wasting disease has been a game changer uh, all across North America. And in fact, it's even now across the ocean, across the Atlantic, uh, chronic wasting disease. And it, we have been in Minnesota, uh, Minnesota DNR, and uh, our tribal partners as well, have been sampling um, hunter harvested deer for chronic wasting disease for a very long time now, since I believe in Minnesota, um, since 2002, I think. Um, in any event, um, translocating elk from other states, uh, certainly we've talked about that with regard to uh, the elk restoration project in northeast Minnesota, because, you know, frankly, uh, one of the go-to states these days to get elk um, has been Kentucky, and uh, that would be a logical choice. But we, of course, have concerns about translocating out animals across state lines that could potentially have chronic wasting disease. And then there, there is a live animal test that's being developed by the University of Minnesota, uh, but it has not been approved yet. So, you know, that will be down the road a, a, a game changer, too, if we can uh, test animals live animals but um so we get to minnesota where where would we get elk i'm just uh, i'm just gonna interrupt you for one second we gotta we gotta stop with the radio show we're out of time for the radio show uh, but we're going to continue this conversation on the podcast so if you're listening to this on the radio uh go to the sporting journal radio youtube channel or sportingjournalradio.com to hear the rest of our conversation with blaine clemick and mike schreg as we discuss elk reintroduction in northeastern minnesota I was, I was just going to kind of c- conclude and wrap up there that uh, the logical choice then, since uh, animals that were not really, it's, on, it's not on the table at the moment, 
to uh, obtain animals from other states, elk, uh, to translocate uh, to northeast Minnesota. So we're looking at northwest Minnesota's elk population. And, um, and, and this fall, we will be sampling uh, hunter-harvested deer in the northwest part of the state in elk range to determine or to help us determine uh, the potential of, you know, the prevalence of chronic waste and disease within the wild deer population. And of course we have elk hunts in Northwest Minnesota too, that will start uh, in just a little over a month. Um, and uh, tribal hunters uh, from Red Lake Nation will be hunting elk in Northwest Minnesota. And uh, we will be sampling all hunter harvested elk as well for chronic waste and disease and other other diseases so we're looking of course to uh to uh ensure as best as we can uh disease free animals exist in northwest minnesota and for the time being that is the case uh elk for a long time now since we began hunting elk in northwest minnesota they've all been every single one of the hunter harvested elk have been sampled for cwd and a variety of other diseases and uh, CWD has never been detected in any uh, uh, hunter harvested elk, or for that matter, any elk that we were able to, a dead elk that we've been able to get our hands on, you know, like a road roadkill and, and these opportunistic sampling uh, carcasses that we've been able to sample. You brought up that Red Lake is going to be hunting, hunting uh, these elk. This is the second year now that they're going to be taking part in that. Why haven't they been a, a part of it in the past? And it, they went, and I don't, I don't want to wade into some waters that maybe we, we don't want to get into. But their their tag allotment went from five to to thirty this year, and uh, for for uh, for other hunters, it went from I, I can't remember what the number was last year down to seventeen. Um, explain how what that process is like and how the allotment of tags goes. Well, it, it's it's a difficult process, uh, I will have to say, in that, you know, we, DNR, State of Minnesota, is restricted, first off, Brett, with, uh, you know, the numbers of tags that are, that are doled out um, for the state hunting season. Um, and it actually brought it up, uh, in a way, with regard to the um, population goal ranges for these uh, populations of elk that we have now. Grigla, for example, last fall we we uh, only sent, or I should say, surveyed 29 animals out of the Grigla population. The population goal range that was established, working with the elk work group in Grigla, uh, and 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 written in the strategic management plan for elk, is uh, 30 to 38 animals. So we are under goal. We're not going to hunt elk. We haven't hunted elk there since 2012 in Grigla, the Grigla population. But over in Kitson Central, which is the northwesternmost county in the state of Minnesota where our other elk are, the Kitson Central group just north of Carlstad in that Lancaster uh, community area, um, elks, uh, the, I should say the, the population goal range is 50 to 60. Well, last year, we uh, we uh, counted 70 this past winter we counted 75 elk there so we're trying to work that population down within that 50 to 60 population goal range and the caribou vita herd sometimes called the international border herd 
um, uh, is uh, it, Caribou is named after a town, not not the animal. There's a there's a community in Minnesota called Caribou, and then across the border in, in Manitoba it, is Vida. So Caribou. It's not Vida. a very big They're, community. Name it. <laughs> I've been up. There. Nope, nope. <laughs> You're exactly right there. <laughs> um, but any event, uh, you know, there's there's a fair number of animals there. We counted 96 on the Minnesota side this past fall, and a hunt. We got permission this past, uh, I should say, winter. This past winter, we got permission to actually go into Canada, into Manitoba, into their survey block, our Manitoba conservation volunteers, and count elk up there too. We counted 131 animals on the Manitoba side for a total of 227 animals. So that herd, with respect to the Manitoba conservation uh, uh, folks up there, we have agreed to, to, to maintain the hunt on the Minnesota side uh, but in very small numbers. So we issuing five tags there and uh, um, 12 tags in that Kitson Central herd. With that in mind, Brett, we also uh, were fully aware that Red Lake Nation would would have a hunt. And we tried to work together, and, and we do work together. It isn't that we try to work together. We do work together. But things got ahead, and uh, the their commission, the Red Lake Nation Commission, who oversees the 1863 uh, ceded lands treaty territory and its hunting, fishing, and, and, and gathering rights there, um, uh, decided to go from 5 to 30. Now, uh, that was uh, a surprise to us, at least that many more, but we fully expected, um, fully expected that there would be a tribal hunt, and so that is why the state licenses that we are uh, issuing this year uh, was was less than last year okay which is 17th okay so they they can essentially issue as many as they want to as of right now that is a fact and uh, I'll say something else um, we did have you know, subsequent conversations uh, numerous conversations with uh, with our uh, colleagues that uh, work in uh, Red Lake Department of Natural Resources there, as and and they in turn uh, talking with the with uh, tribal council members and um, and uh, the the commission itself, um, we we proposed uh, we proposed DNR proposed that uh, perhaps Red Lake Nation could consider capping harvest, you know, hmm. uh, like. For example, if the if teen or twent whatever is, is killed to stop stop the uh, the take, um, they are considering that, and uh, it's a very it's a very it's possible that this coming fall that if uh, uh, fifteen or so animals are harvested, if that happens uh, by tribal hunters, that perhaps that hunting season would cease. Okay. Well, let's move on to the management goals up there because. Those elk management goals have to be met in order to move elk from that herd over to the northeast, correct? So Fond du Lac's proposal is that we will only move elk from northwest Minnesota when they exceed their management, when they exceed population goals that are set for those herds, whatever those population goals may be. Okay. 
That makes sense. And for for guys like me that dream of of hunting elk someday in Minnesota, it it it's something to get excited for, right? Because uh, and Blaine, maybe you can help me out with this because I remember hearing about an elk. I think it got caught in a fence up there and it ended up dying. But it would have been the, the rumor was that it would have been like a world record sized elk. I'm sure you know which one I'm talking about. Um, what's the oh, story yeah. there and what happened? It, that, that, that is a real uh, that was a real a, a real trophy, I think. Well, shoot, it was, it's either number three or number five um, uh, non-typical elk uh, that for some, you know, inexplicable you know, reason, this, this animal somehow tripped over a uh, three or four strand uh, barbed wire fence and uh, it actually landed on its back and skewered its rack into the soft earth and it was immobilized by that. It didn't kill it. But uh, a muzzleloader hunter happened upon it, and uh, they actually worked on prying its giant rack out of, mm. there it is, it's unbelievable, Man. Uh, giant rack out of the soil. And uh, it was able to get up on its feet, but uh, it was just too far gone. It had been on its back for far too long, and there's a photo of what it looked like, yeah, when, when it was laying there. I mean, good grief. Uh, what a way to go but uh that animal um yes the its genes are uh, still exist up there and uh each fall uh state hunters uh and now perhaps tribal hunters too uh routinely kill maybe not animals quite like that one but uh big trophy size class trophy class uh elk in, in northwest minnesota so the <laughs> genetics are most definitely there well, those are the ones you can move to my backyard. The the, the ones with those jeans. <laughs> Maybe mine too. <laughs> Man, wow. Well, so speaking of of the hunting season, is that is that for state hunters? Is that technically a once in a lifetime tag, or how you know like how many people apply for an elk license in Minnesota? What are the actual odds of drawing one? Yeah, well, I don't know what the odds are. I know that uh, yours truly uh, continues to play uh, the lottery, and <laughs> and I have yet to be drawn. But I've known of people that have uh, put in for the very first time in their lives and have drawn a tag. Oh wow! Uh, so, you know, it's just it's just uh, the luck of the draw. Uh, but you know, two to three thousand people, I believe, uh, uh, routinely apply for these once in a lifetime. Uh, hunts as you as you put it there and, and that is a, that is the case today yet is that it's a once in a lifetime hunt um, uh, and, and success to tell you the truth success rates are are fairly high I think it averages something around 30 percent um, which you know I take that in Colorado any day um, yeah. but that isn't the case where I hunt uh, um, yeah, the, the main thing, Brett, uh, for any hunter that does get lucky enough to draw a tag is that given where these animals are, and a lot of them do uh, live on private land, uh, it's it's that knocking on private landowners' doors to get permission. I'm sure there's, there's 100,000 acres of public land in northwest, uh, I should say, Kitson County, uh, where, where these elk are. Um, 
uh, mostly where they are in Kitson County, some in Marshall as well, but uh, lots of public land, but they're not always going to be on public land. So the importance of uh, knocking on doors and getting that permission. Have landowners been pretty willing to let hunters uh, chase elk around on their property? They really have. Uh, I tell you what, those landowners up there are, are you know, for sure, our partners. Um, and they will pull out all stops uh, helping those that they give permission to hunt elk mm -hmm. on their property. They'll pull out, pull out all stops to help that hunter. I've known of some private landowners that's been out there helping uh, uh, skin and quarter elk uh, oh, wow. with the hunter. Now, I wouldn't say that that's necessarily a service that they provide, <laughs> but uh, there are some people that do get into it and uh, want to, you know, make sure that the hunters that are on their land are, uh, you know, is, can be as successful as they can possibly be. Well, maybe and, they'll uh, get a couple yeah, of steaks. All, and a, all good folks there. They might get a couple of steaks out of the deal. It's worth it. Maybe a case of beer. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, Dan and I applied this year, and I'll tell you what, man, it was hard to decide because there's some some bull elk tags available and then uh, some cow elk tags and honestly it was hard because i mean it's a chance for a once in a lifetime trophy bull but at the same time it's like i i'd be okay i'd be okay with taking just shooting it shooting a cow elk for the amount of meat that you get off of one of those animals oh. like the like and it's good it's good quality protein and it's a lot of it so it <laughs> It's kind of a tough decision to do. Let's see, are our odds better one way or the other? And do we, you know, I mean, do we, do we truly just want to shoot a trophy and take the meat, obviously, from that big animal, or do we just care about the meat? So it was a tough choice for us on this one. Mm-hmm. Did, did you get a license? I have not, I have, no, I don't think. Did they, have, has it been announced? Okay. Well, uh, I do know that there are people that have already received their letters, their congratulatory letters. Of, Does it come uh, in the mail or email? I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're in the mail. They should oh, be in the man. mail. They have the old saying, you know, it's in the mail. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I've been checking my box, too. But uh, <laughs> um, they, it would be they, great. I, yeah. So. I I, you know, I, I drew, uh, I, uh, hunted prairie chickens a couple of times now. And the first time I applied, I got a, I got a, perm, a tag for prairie chicken for a prairie chicken hunt the first time. So I probably used up my luck in the lottery on that one, but, uh, fingers crossed I'll apply for elk now every year. And Mike, when it comes to, yep. let's talk about our timeline now, you know, we've got the money for it. The idea is to start maybe moving elk by 2026. Is that right? Yeah, so we have a lot of the money for it. I, I don't think we haven't, we, we projected about $7 million to fully implement this effort. So we have some additional fundraising that needs to happen. But yeah, our goal is to, uh, to move the first elk um, February of 26. Okay, and then if, let's just talk dream scenario. Everything goes perfect. Elk are moving. The wolves are like, whoa. You guys are cool. You guys are new here. You're good. We'll we'll come back in a few years and maybe just point out the yeah. the elk that are being jerks to everybody else. I don't know. Just say everything yeah. goes well. When do you think, you know, I think Wisconsin, it took 23 years for their first managed hunt. When do you, mm -hmm. I mean, like, when do you think a hunting season could take place in the Northeast? Um, so I... 
I think real, realistically what I tell people is if we pull this off, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid-50s. Um, I tell people, people like myself and older should not ever expect to draw an elk tag in Northeast Minnesota. This is something we're doing for our kids and our grandkids because um, it, it will take time to grow an elk herd to a level where it could support a sustainable harvest. Um, and, and I I hope to see that time, but I don't know that I'll still be able to get out in the woods and climb up in a deer stand or, or, or uh, push a push a woodlot for, for an elk. Um, so I, I think this is something we're doing for the generations coming up. All right. Well, let's talk about just a few more steps that need to take place. Now, part of the money that was that was raised, I think it wasn't part of our appropriate the appropriation from the Minnesota legislature, but there was money to, to hire a biologist. Is that right? Yeah. So the Fond du Lac separately, uh, the Fond du Lac band applied for um, some federal funding that's available through the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. Um, and and that um, uh, the bulk of that funding um, is to uh, support a position um, to, to basically a, a full time position to, to implement this this project um, to do the the planning and the 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 habitat work develop the capture protocols the disease surveillance um, everything else that needs to happen to to make this a reality. Okay, and where where are we at in the process, or how soon do you do you hope to have somebody hired for that? Well, I'm I uh, was was writing the job description yesterday. I, okay. I hope to bring somebody <laughs> on later this year. Okay. All right. So, uh, so three years of, uh, research and, and projects and preparation, and then hopefully the, the first translocation in 2026. And then, then what happens? Cause this, this money that was appropriated, that's only available for three years, right? So part of the, right. part of the, the project for the next three years is, is finding ways for additional funding. What, what, mm-hmm. what do you think the, where do you think that funding is going to come from? Uh, I mean, I think there's a variety of potential sources. Um, uh, you know, this same Great Lakes Restoration Initiative, um, that's a, a, a well-supported um, bipartisan uh, uh, program. Um, and so I think we could probably go back to that well in, in three or four years for some additional funding. Uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has been a huge supporter of similar efforts around the eastern United States, um, and and I think we could we could look to RMEF to to help support this. Um, in Minnesota, uh, we have um, initiatives such as the uh, Lassard Sands Outdoor Heritage Fund that could help with a lot of the habitat work, as well as the Environment and Natural Resources mm-hmm. Trust Fund, uh, which has already supported a lot of the pre-work um, that we've done for elk. And, and I think we could look to them in the future for some additional funding to help this process. I'll tell you what, that ENTRF uh, and LCCMR, I think, has been huge for, for the state when it comes to environmental projects and, and providing funding. That's that's a lot lottery money, essentially. So when you go buy those scratch-offs, if you went in to buy one of those Powerball tickets this week when it was a billion dollars, I hope you bought some scratch-offs, too, because that will help the environment <laughs> in Minnesota. You might be helping uh, put put elk in the Northeast when you buy one of those. Um, so is there well, – I research, mean, too, Brent. 
Lots of research. There's yeah. been a, yeah. a lot of research. Yeah. In fact, uh, the very first elk research, you know, collaring project that ever occurred in Minnesota was funded uh, by LCCMR, uh, the Environment Natural Resources trust fund and uh, uh, Eric Mitchell uh, DNR uh, uh, deer biologist um, has just uh, appeared here re recently in front of LCCMR uh, proposing another elk research project in northwest Minnesota to collar uh, a lot of elk bulls included and uh, anyway um, that uh, it's uh, very possible that that will be funded uh, through LCC. What, what about, you know, could we come up with a, a stamp, Minnesota elk stamp? You know, is there, can people donate? I mean, what, what can the average, the average guy like me that wants to see elk uh, potentially for a hunting season for at whenever, or just to see more elk on the landscape, what, what can we do? Well, one of the things that uh, I would recommend anybody doing uh, that wants to see more elk, that wants to see elk in more places, um, you know, would be to contact your local lawmaker and uh, voice voice that support. Uh, elk in uh, many places in the United States where they occur uh, are, you know, they are a boom to uh, to uh, eco tourism. Um, you know, Mike has brought this up in some of his presentations, but it, it is a fact. A place like uh, Pennsylvania, for example, has built uh, some time ago an elk visitor center. You know, I think around a half a million people a year flock to that place to learn about elk. You know, think of the Ely International Wolf Center or the North American. Uh, bear center uh, over by Ely and uh, you can kind of imagine what an elk visitor center could be in Minnesota and, and one of the neat things about where we hope to actually restore elk in northeast Minnesota is you know it's in Cloquet that Duluth Arrowhead country where you know it's vacation land USA uh, what cool opportunities exist there for uh ecotourism to draw people into the the area and uh, see elk on the landscape uh, learn about elk not that it couldn't happen in northwest minnesota because to the credit of uh, one particular individual roland larder who happens to be um, a member of the kitson elk work group he with his own time and dime uh, created uh, a little elk uh, uh, you know, information uh, is you drive into Lancaster, if you've ever been north of Carlstad on Highway 59, you'll see a giant uh, bronze elk, bull elk statue with a big giant billboard about welcoming you to elk country. And, you know, these are the kinds of things that you try to do to create awareness and excitement about elk. Yeah. Well, there's no question that there's a lot of traffic up that up 35 up to the North Shore up there that uh, probably a little bit more traffic than, uh, than up in the Northwest. But, uh, well, but yeah, 
there, there, there is definitely a lot of potential. I mean, that, to me, there's a lot of potential for everything. And just the fact that there's just, you know, less ag over there just makes this, uh, this whole thing so much more appealing. So you're, you're the Northwest regional wildlife manager. Who's, who's the Northeast with there? Is there somebody that is going to be from the DNR mm -hmm. uh, or, or are they going to move you over there, Blaine? Yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I tell you what, uh, uh, you know, what, what the folks over in the Northeast often would hear about elk is uh, all the bad things about elk from the Northwest. And, but there is a lot of good to be told and good stories to tell about elk in Northwest Minnesota. And who my counterpart is in Northeast Minnesota is Lindsay Chartel hmm. and, uh, and the assistant Angela where else, uh, Ward? She's uh, she's uh, the the assistant regional wildlife manager in, in Northeast out of Grand Rapids. Okay, well, gentlemen, we're excited about this. I really appreciate all the time today. And before we go, uh, Blaine, do we want to talk about how to how to take care of raccoons at all, or? <laughs> Boy, did I get some grief about that? I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Um, all I was doing was trying to take care of uh, four raccoon kits until I could get them to Garrison Animal Hospital to the animal rehabilitators there. <laughs> but yeah, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed. I, I had a couple of raccoons as a child, and uh, oh, I really? felt like a kid again holding a baby raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we should provide a little backstory. You found them. They were just uh, like or orphan in the middle of a road, right? In the middle of the dirt road, in the middle of the afternoon, on a hot, sunny afternoon on a Saturday, and uh, inexplicably, they were just there. I had no idea, no mother around. Uh, I kind of milled about the, the little things uh, for a while just to see if a mother would show up. And uh, Well, anyway, I, had, I gathered them up and, and took care of them for a week until I could transport them down to... Uh, the Garrison Animal Hospital, or, the, or they have a wildlife rehabilitation uh, program called Wild and Free. And uh, tell you what, if, uh, if 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 your listeners and viewers have never been to that place, uh, they do a, a bang up job in, in rehabilitating eagles. Uh, I I got on a tour, got to see you know otters, and uh, they had. Uh, all kinds of other, uh, lots of different, they had a lot of raccoons, they had some bears, but all these animals, these wild animals are rehabilitated and, and released in the wild. So uh, the, the, the raccoons I took down there will eventually be back out in the wild. So that's a good thing. That is a neat place there. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I lived in Brainerd, I that was my vet. The Garrison uh, place there was oh, yeah. was, my, was my vet. So I'd go over there, and they're like, "Oh, you gotta you gotta learn more about this place." We tried to do a story with the TV show, but because of the the I don't know because of their relationship with the state, it it, it we couldn't film it or something. I don't remember what the deal was, but it is a neat place there, and they do good work. And I'll tell you what, I think it's really neat that you did that, and that's probably cool that you had raccoons as a kid. But if they were in pheasant country, I'm not sure I would have <laughs> had the same <laughs> compassion for those animals that you did. So I'll give you credit though. Yeah, uh, skunks and rats. Raccoons are hard on uh, on ground nesting. Yeah, chain through the through the the prairie grasslands to to uh, kick up nesting waterfowl, and then we monitored those those nests to see to understand nesting success and so forth. And and yeah, there would be depredation on 
duck nest uh, frequently enough by a, a whole variety of predators. But raccoons and skunks tended to be the number one predators. You can tell by the way they bite into the eggs what, what predator it is and, uh, and what they do with the nest. And, but there were others too, uh, ground squirrels, badgers, and, and uh, other, you know, even, uh, uh, you know, fox, of course. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you're right. You're right, Brett. Raccoons are hard on uh, ground nesting birds. Yeah. Too. For sure. All right, guys. Well, uh, I'll, I'll let you go. I know this has been a long interview. I really appreciate the time. Uh, keep up the good work up there. I'm excited about it. And, uh, man, keep us in the loop. We'll keep people updated on the process as it goes. And and are uh, looking forward to seeing elk up in Minnesota's northeast. Uh, Mike Schrag and Blaine Klemek, thanks for the time today on the show. You're welcome. Thank you. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com.